great to be with you today uh, here at H&W. Listen, if you're a guest with us today, we want to say welcome. If you've been coming here uh, for 30 years, also just want to say welcome. It's a new year. And I'll tell you, God was so faithful to us in 2022. Get to the end of that year. It feels good to be like, man, that was a good year. Feels really good. But I tell you what, I sense, and I think the rest of the staff would agree, the Holy Spirit's moving in this body of people right now in a, par- a powerful and profound way. And I'm just buckling up for the year ahead. I'm excited. I'm excited for what God uh, has in store for us. And hope you are too. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about home. Uh, you can see on the screen behind me that our new series starts today. It's called The Home Edit. And specifically, we're talking about what makes a home this morning. And even beyond that, what makes a home that honors the Lord? You know, I, for me, growing up, home meant something very specific. But I'll tell you, and I know a lot of the other adults in the room can uh, relate, the idea of home has evolved for me greatly over the years. When I was a little boy, home was where my parents were, right? The house I grew up uh, in, in Perryton. But then I very specifically remember, some of you can relate with this, like leaving home after I graduated from high school and went off to college and came home that first Christmas. And I'm home, but it starts to feel like home is, yeah, it's here, but it's also there. And it's with these people for sure, but... To some degree, it's with those people. You guys know this feeling that you start to have? Uh, I'm, I'm a kid who went to a, a Christian school, grew up in a youth group, all that stuff. So I did get married in my early 20s. Judge me if you wish. I'm thankful that I got married in my early 20s. I have a great wife. We've been married for 18 years. But I will tell you that uh, in those years after we got married, my definition and understanding of home evolved again, and you would expect it to in that moment, right? And it was weird. On holidays, we would go home to uh, whatever town where my parents or her parents lived, but then after a couple of days at home, we would decide it's time to go home. So you can see it starts to get a little bit confusing there. Home is a moving target at this point, right? And then we, we have kids now and like the whole like, where is Santa going to show up? And that whole question sort of entered the scene for us. And we just decided, you know what? No more are we going to be somewhere else on Christmas Eve. Right, we used to get in the car after the Christmas Eve services and book it to wherever it was that we were supposed to be the next day. We'd get there at one o'clock in the morning. We'd be dead tired, uh, but we did it. And we just decided a few years ago, you know what? I want my kids to be at home when Santa comes. I want Santa to come to our house and for them to be able to wake up in their beds and go see what Santa brought. So you guys see that. Like home has a tendency to evolve throughout our lives. And here's the deal. I know as well that there are others in the room, if you're honest, you would say, you know what? My family feels less like home to me. And these, this particular group of people, like maybe it's a, a group in your neighborhood or a group at your gym or a life group or you know, a group of friends that you picked up over the year, they feel more like home to me than these people that I'm actually related to. Or maybe, you know, this is a a series that we want to make sure applies to all of us. So so maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? I'm not married. I don't have kids. This series isn't for me. That's not true because you have a home too. You have a group of people in a place where you reside, a people with whom you abide, and that's home, right? And so it doesn't matter who you are. We all have a home. We all experience home 
And the question is, if we all experience home in one way or another, what does it look like to honor God in that home? And what would God have for us in those places that we reside with the people with whom we abide? Let's pray. God, thank you for a chance this morning to uh, open up your word. Gosh, I love this passage, Lord. I love uh, the majesty of uh, Genesis 1 and 2. And I just pray today that you'd help me to do justice. Um, uh, help me to say words that honor you. Help this text to be one that instructs your people and encourages your people, rebukes your people, uh, motivates your people on to love and good deeds. Lord, thank you that you are with us now. Uh, we welcome you into this discussion. We know you're here, but we want to hear from you. And so we ask you to speak to each and every one of us right now. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, turn to Genesis chapter 1. And as you're turning there, I will tell you what we're doing today is we are headed back to the first home, the very, very first one, Adam and Eve right at the beginning. God takes Adam and Eve, he puts them in a garden in their first home with their little two-person family, and that's where we're headed today. That's who we're going to read about, and I think God has a lot to teach us from this passage and the next one as well. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl along the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. And God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. The word of our Lord. We begin with God creating the heavens and the earth and everything under them. And then God creates Adam and Eve. Right? And then God gives them this mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And here's the thing. In this instance, I think the first place we should go is to understand that God is talking about human beings making more human beings, making more human beings, making more human beings, okay? That's the idea, okay? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Because there's a cultural mandate where God wants culture to begin forming out of this tiny little family. But I will say this. I think this is so significant and I think it's instructive to the rest of our discussion on this. Remember where they are in this moment, right? Genesis chapter two shows us that God puts Adam and Eve where? In a garden, okay? And he calls them to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. And it's true. He wants human beings to reproduce. But also note that the idea of bearing fruit is very much related to what they've been given to do in that garden, right, to cultivate life there, right? Cultivate more and more and more life. Now, here's the thing. I think that this passage in particular is pointing primarily in this particular directive for Adam and Eve to be 
creators of other people, right? To create more people. But I will say that it's so significant to understand that when you look at the whole of Scripture, that the idea of fruit going beyond creating people is really significant because it builds out and grows and morphs even as you get to the New Testament. Let me show you real quick what I'm getting at. I think it's really, really important. In Genesis 49, 22, same book, end of the book, we see uh, instead of a discussion about fruit involving human beings creating more human beings or reproducing more human beings, the idea of fruit begins to uh, sort of morph or take on the idea that fruit is the outcome of a person's life. Okay, so look at this. Genesis 42 or 49:22 says, "Joseph is a fruitful vine." A fruitful vine beside a spring, its branches climb over the wall. It's describing all of the difficulty he went through and still produced fruit in his life. It's speaking to the outcome of his life. Psalm 1, one of my favorite passages in Scripture. 1, 1 through 3 says, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. He meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted by flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You see fruit as the outcome of a way of Life, in this case, being attached to God's word and meditating on it day and night. Proverbs eleven thirty says, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, but a cunning person takes lives. And so we see that the idea of fruit in scripture goes beyond just human beings reproducing more human beings. But then you look at the New Testament and it goes even further. And really the theme of fruit in the New Testament is attached to the fact that if we want to bear fruit, we have to abide in Christ, that we have to have a right relationship with him in order to bear the fruit that we're supposed to bear in our life. And it's often talking about the outcome of our life. Let me look at this with you. John 15, one through five says, I'm the true vine, my father's the gardener. Every branch in me that doesn't produce fruit, he removes. He prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Then you see in Galatians chapter five, one that's familiar to a lot of us, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. This is the fruit of the spirit. So biblically, bearing good fruit is about lives that produce life. If you're taking notes, write that down. Biblically, if you're just talking about bearing fruit, you're talking about lives that produce life. And so from our point of view, whether you have kids or not, I think it's safe to say that the purpose of home is good fruit. Regardless of who you are and what home looks like, whether home is a group of friends or whether home is 19 children, man, good luck on that side. <laughs> the goal, the purpose is to bear good fruit that honors the Lord. Whether you're single or married, no kids, little kids, big kids, grown kids, grandkids, the purpose of home is fruit. The question is, how do we get it, right? The first answer to that is, we abide in Jesus. He's the source. 
And remember from our passage today that we are created in his likeness and he was not created in ours, right? We are to be image bearers. And so if we want to um, bear fruit, then we image him. We copy, we mimic him in the way that he goes about. I'm gonna explain some of that as we go. So here's what I wanna do the rest of the morning. In this passage, there are two uh, Hebrew words, and then the, in Genesis chapter two, there are two Hebrew words that are directives that God gives Adam and Eve in this new home. Um, it's, they're gigantic, overarching things, and like so many other deals, in Genesis, we learn these um, sort of existential truths these like general philosophical, the basis of life truths, and then the Bible unpacks them for us as we go, okay? So this is no different. These directives that are given to Adam and Eve, these instructions for their home, are like beyond 30,000 feet, right? They're gigantic directives, but if we'll take them to heart, and I think God will teach a lot, from us, teach a lot to us today from these four simple words, okay? So the question today is what makes a home according to God's word? And these four words are gonna help us with that, okay? The first one is found in verse 26. Y'all grab your Bible, turn there. Genesis 1, verse 26. It says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So this one is telling what man will do, what man and woman, Adam and Eve, will do, okay? It's foretelling. But then look down at verse 28. It says, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And then the next one says, rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth, okay? So here's your first word today. We're all gonna become Hebrew experts together Okay, the first word found in verse 26 and 28 is the word rule. In Hebrew, the word is radah. Everybody say, say that with me. Radah. One more time with gusto. Radah. Beautiful, okay? This word means to rule or to have dominion, okay? It means to extend God's purpose to the rest of the creative world, taking responsibility for what has put, been put under your care. Now, let me give you just a quick caveat this morning that's so significant in our understanding of this passage. You should know, if you don't know already, that the directive given here to rule and subdue in Genesis 1 has been used and abused by Christians, quote unquote, for thousands of years, right? To inflict a particular kind of power on a group of people that basically puts them in a subjugated place, okay? And it's happened in 100,000 different ways, right? But it's been used in a nasty way. And I want to mention that because it's important to recognize that God asserts his power in Genesis chapter one, but this comes, and he actually calls Adam and Eve to assert their power as well, but this comes before sin has come on the scene and perverted what power is meant to accomplish. Everybody see that? This is so significant when you're studying particularly the early part of Genesis and you're getting these, these uh, instructions from God is to recognize that these instructions were given to a group of people before the fall came on the scene. And so when we take them up and make them our own, it's important that we recognize that we're aiming at Eden and not at current understanding of what that means. Okay, so when we say rule or when we say subdue, we don't mean it 
with the same connotations that you might pick up from living in 2022, or for that matter, the last several thousand years on planet Earth after the fall. Okay, what we mean when we say rule or subdue is exactly what it means in this passage before sin comes and perverts that good thing, okay? Everybody tracking with me? Everybody tracking with me, okay. Well, let me show you this. This is, this is interesting. The word rule here is, uh, it is a word that implies force, and I wanna show you why. If you go back to Genesis chapter one, we're gonna do a little bit of theological, biblical gymnastics here, but I just want everybody to hang with me for a second. Some of you are like, yes! And some of you are like, mm, right? So bored, okay. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Then Genesis 1.2 says, this is often forgotten verse. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. And God called the, night, the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was an evening and there was a morning on the first day. Y'all check this out. Verse two, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the face of the earth. And so it's so important to recognize. God had to practice power in this moment to go from a place, the way that Timothy Mackey describes it is, a place of waste and wild to a place of order where there's light and darkness. God has to use his power to make these things happen. But the purpose is to bring life, okay? Right off the bat, God separates light from dark, right? He takes this, this waste and wild, right? The way that the, the, my translation says, formless and empty, he applies his power and then immediately the lights come on, okay? Significant to know that when God calls Adam to, or when God makes Adam and Eve in his likeness to image him or to be like him, they are called to do the exact same things that God does right off the bat in Genesis chapter one, right? When, when God says rule and subdue, that's just a directive that directly correlates with what God already has done in creation, like it goes right back to the very beginning and what God's just done on the days leading up to when God gave them these rules. And they're just imaging him. They're copying or mimicking him in the way that they live their life. And so God's this creative creator who creates these creative creatures that he's called to live a particular way in his creation that mimics just like, or mimics him and looks just like what he does. This is so important because when we're applying power, we're not trying to apply power according to our own understanding of power. We're seeking to apply power according to Jesus's understanding of power. And if we flip forward to the New Testament, I know this is pretty heady stuff, but if you flip forward to the New Testament, Jesus' understanding of applied power is radically different than the Roman Empire that was around at his time. It was radically different than many of his followers at that time who abandoned him when they realized that his definition of power is not the same as theirs. And y'all, there's so much scholarship here that I can't go into, but I just wanna leave you here before we move on to the next word with the reminder that we are all called and given in life a measure of power, something we can influence, right? We've all been given this and all of us are called to mimic God in the way that we employ it in our world, bottom line. So one takeaway from it, one takeaway from this, 
As we grow up and experience more and more responsibility from like toys and mortgages and kids and grandkids and so on and so forth, one of the great fruit killers in home or in the home is the abdication of responsibility. Okay, being a ruler implies accepting responsibility. Okay, and so what God is telling Adam and Eve in this moment is look, I've created this world, and ultimately it's all my responsibility. But you, human, who's here to mimic me and image me, your job is to take responsibility for these things. You are to steward them. And God's been doing it every day since, giving human beings things to steward in this world, right? Whether it's money or people uh, in your house that live with you, like children, and many, many other things. God's been stewarding and stewarding and stewarding these things to us. And the question is, will we expect... Will we accept the responsibility that God's put in our hand? Right, because if you're talking about a dysfunctional home, so much of the dysfunction, whether it's a collection of friends or whether it's a mom and dad or uh, whether it's just a husband and wife or any other number of things, so often when people abdicate responsibility, things fall apart, okay? When a parent, and you just get down into the brass tacks of it, when a parent leaves, right, and leaves the responsibility to the other parent, things are hard. You see that. It's very, very simple. Or you have, <laughs> one of my favorites, to bring a little levity to it, when the dad's like, hey, I'll babysit the kids so you can go out. And the wife's like, they're your kids, right? You guys seen that before? <laughs> That's like a silly example but in, in a small, tiny way, it's just saying, they're your kids, and I'll take care of them while you're away. But ultimately, they're, they're ours. And so, whether you're a child in your home, and you say, you know what, I have these things that are mine, and I need to take responsibility for them, or whether you're a parent who needs to take responsibility for the children in your home, or even maybe your own actions with those children, if, you're, uh, if you have a roommate and you're like, you know what, I'm not gonna do the dishes and I'm gonna make them angry every day, perhaps you should repent and apologize to them for those actions. But you can see how this, this applies to so many different pieces and parts of our life, but you gotta take responsibility for what God's put in your hand. We spent too much time on this. Let's keep rolling. The next word is in uh, verse 28. You guys turn there with me. We've already read it and discussed it to some extent. It says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. This is a really tricky word. Again, used really poorly in Christian history. Uh, but here's the deal. Subdue is the idea of bringing order from that which is wild, right? Organizing for the purpose of flourishing. Going back to that earlier moment, God looked out and the world was without form and void, right? Or uh, the way that um, Timothy Mackey says it was uh, wild and waste, okay? And God began the process after that of bringing about order from the wild and waste, okay? So what does this mean for you and for me? Well, first of all, it's a reminder to us that the massive piece of the creative process is taking what's there and bringing order to it so that it can produce more life. Think about it this way. You've got a vine that's growing on the ground, okay? And if you just let it grow, it will go absolutely crazy and it will not produce what you want it to produce ultimately. And so what do you do? You build a trellis. 
and that vine heads up the trellis. You, you add organization or you put um, some parameters around it and suddenly you've taken this wild and waste and you've given it some parameters and now with that organization and order, you've created a vine that can produce lots and lots of fruit. All right, another example. Okay, I'm trying to make sure I explain this well. You have a plant that produces a ton of seeds and they all fall, okay? And you just let them lay there or what do you do with them? You pick them up and you plant them and you water them. You make sure they get sunlight so they can produce more plants, okay? In one scenario, it just, they fall to the ground. It's wild and waste. Nothing comes from it. In the other scenario, you're meticulous and careful and you bring order from the chaos or you bring order from the wild. So man, here it is. This is one that I think really, really uh, resonated with the earlier crowd. Some of you moms and dads in the room specifically need to hear this desperately. Maybe good news, maybe bad news, I don't know, but hopefully it's helpful. The world before the fall, okay, before God starts separating light from dark and water and land and all these different maneuvers to bring about this world to support human life, okay, the world before the fall wasn't some kind of like nirvana. It says that it was wild and waste. That wasn't bad. But then God took all of that energy and potential and steered it in the right direction to produce everything that we know, all the beauty and amazing things in our world. Okay? So I want you to hear this today. Messes will happen in your house. I know some of you are like, what is that? Hold on, what is he talking about? Here, listen to me. Kids can be wild and waste, can't they? Am I right? There are days when you look up and you're like, oh, I literally just cleaned this room just now. And now it's dirty. How, like, they're like magicians. How did they do this? Anybody ever been there? They're like, how is this possible? Right, and it's not just with our kids, just people in general have this propensity to be a little wild and waste. It's not necessarily bad. There are a lot of times it's just that they're packed with all this potential. It's just a little bit messy. And so our job inside of the home as the ones who've taken responsibility for that home is to kind of bring order and direction and, and organization to that wild and waste so that it can actually produce more life in the world, right? And so like on your worst day, I just want you to remember moms and dads, part of your job, well, first of all, the mess is gonna happen. Some of you have been fighting the mess since you were like, since you got married and had kids. You're like, why me? Why is this here? And it's all, because it is. That's reality. But your job as a parent is to get in the middle of it and to bring about life, to cultivate life in the midst of the wild and the waste. So be encouraged today, right? That somewhere in the middle of that, really good things are happening, right? And build a trellis, plant some seeds in the midst of all of the wild, okay? Next word, we gotta read another passage to get to it. If you would, turn over to Genesis chapter two. We're just gonna read one verse together for the sake of time. It says this. So God creates uh, Adam, and, uh, and it says, well, I'll read it all to you. Verse 26 says, then God said, um, no, I don't have time. Okay, sorry, verse 15. 
The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. Okay, so that's the verse. There's a lot more there, but that's all I have time for today. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. So the first two words are rule, um, and then the next word is subdue. The next two words are to work and to keep. Okay, so let's work through those together, and then we'll be finished. Uh, that next word is the word abad. Y'all say that with me? Abad, okay? It means to work, to serve, to till. And the idea is to purposefully work, not only to prevent chaos, but to produce life, right? Not just pulling weeds, but growing a harvest, all right? So this word, uh, it signifies purpose. And it's another one of those reminders that before sin came on the seed, on the scene and made work toilsome, that work was there. And we shouldn't be surprised when God asked us to work, to get our hands dirty, because God called Adam and Eve to get their hands dirty before the fall. Work is inevitable. It's part of life. And some of us, again, it's like we cannot handle the fact that it's there, but it, it is. And it certainly has been made much more difficult by the fall. But work is a part, part of our lives. And for some of us, the issue is work that we don't want to. But I have a feeling in America where we work so hard and get so much done that the lesson for us is not work. The lesson, lesson for us is more specific, right? Uh, this word signifies purpose and intention. We aren't just trying to organize chaos. We're trying to raise something specific. And this is about knowing what you're after and working tirelessly to attain it. But let me show you a couple examples. In Psalm chapter 127, verse 3 through 5, uh, it says this. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. They will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. Okay, so this passage shows us that we've been given these arrows in our quiver, these arrows that we are to take and we are to aim and shoot out into the world, give direction, focus, intention, okay? Zig Ziglar once famously said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time, right? Many of you know that. He also said, you can't hit a target you can't see, and you can't see a target you don't have, Y'all, I have found that far too many people are working tirelessly to attain goals someone else set for them without putting an awful lot of thought into it. And yes, sometimes laziness is the issue for sure. I get that. But in so many other cases, the issue is that we don't know what we're trying to cultivate in our homes. Right? Growing different fruits and veggies requires different actions. And you better believe that if you're trying to produce Jesus' fruit, you better be working towards that with intention. Right? There is, I think we forget this, there are forces in our world that will form us every day without us having to think a thought. We can wake up and go about our day and those forces will give us a path to walk and things to do, things to work hard towards. Right, and you could name those any number of things, but at the end of the day, those things aren't the things that God's called us to work for. 
And so for so many of us, the issue is not, am I willing to work? The problem is we're working towards the wrong things. And even beyond that, the bigger problem is that we're not even thinking about working towards the wrong things. We're just working towards the wrong things because everybody else is working towards those things. But you've been given responsibility in your home, whatever that home looks like, to push back the wild and waste and work with intention towards righteousness in your home, right? To make it a place where God is honored and it becomes more and more like Jesus day after day after day. But in order to do that, there's gotta be intention, right? If you're trying to grow a particular type of plant, you better do the things that are necessary to grow that particular type of plant because if you don't, you'll grow something else, okay? And here's the part that freaks me out. So many of us look up and we realize we've grown something else. And then when we really look back at it, we realize we weren't even trying to grow it. We weren't trying to grow the thing we wanted in the first place. Okay. So let's be careful to make sure, like if, for instance, if, you're, if you live in a home and you have a roommate or maybe you have a group of friends that you love and you would call this group of people home, Let's make sure, especially if you're all believers and you're in there together, that you guys are working together in that place to honor Jesus and become more and more like him. Because you wouldn't want to look up 10 years down the road and realize that those years were all wasted chasing after something else altogether. Have some intention in your life. All right? I was thinking about this the other day. Like, there is no, we for sure can apply this to families and children, right? That's always easy, but man, there's no time in my life or in most people's lives where there's wild and waste like your 20s, right? Where it just feels sort of chaotic and like you're working really hard, but man, if there's ever a time in your life where you better pick out the right thing to work towards, it's in your 20s. I'm talking to you 20-somethings in the room because you might look up when you're 30 and realize you worked for the wrong thing, right? And your house is filled with the wrong things, right? Let's move on to the last word. All right, if you look back at that passage, the two words used there are work and keep, or cultivate and keep. And the word for keep there is the word shamar. Everybody say it, shamar. Okay, good. Now you're all Hebrew experts. You can wow them at the office this week around the water cooler if that's what they're into, all right? Shamar means to keep or to guard, to watch out for. Uh, this is uh, the idea of watching out for those factors that might interrupt the production of fruit, to guard, okay? When you look at the Bible, this idea is all over the Bible, mentioned in many, many ways. Uh, one of my favorites is when you see things like a watchtower, and the idea of, of someone standing on a watchtower and looking out on the edge of a city or over a city, making sure that the enemy is not approaching at the gate and bringing uh, whatever the enemy is particularly trying to bring, probably carnage and chaos, okay? So the idea of watching is one where your eyes are open to the things that may cause harm to the th people or the things that you are responsible for. It's very simple. God's called us to be that in our homes. I'll tell you, as a dad, I really like this one. It feels good, right? Be a protector. I'm like, yes, I'll do it, right? And some of you moms in the room, like we go out to the baseball field all the time. I know what a mama bear looks like. It's, it's something. Like, I don't know if it's good or bad, but it's a something, right? <laughs> but it's real, right? I know that you feel that. Like, these are my babies. I love them. Or these are my people. I love them. Right? I'm gonna take care of them, I'm gonna watch out for them. I think we get that piece. The, the part I would add is that this is also an invitation. The idea of being a watchman or keeping watch for what God's given you responsibility for is an invitation to be a finisher, a marathon runner. 
to be more than flash in the pan. Right? Fruitful homes keep watch for long enough to see fruit grow, right? And last time I checked, it takes a long time for fruit to grow, right? Yeah, I see a lot of families who have seasons that like fits and, and starts, right? They like, oh, I'm really fired up about Jesus. And it's like, gear that back down. We're going to another season. Then they gear it back up and they gear it back down. That's not a real great way to do life, I've found. But I think God's hope for us is that as people who are watching and keeping uh, that which he's given us responsibility for, that we would buckle in for the long, buckle up for the long haul, that we would choose to watch for a long time, to, to keep watch on these kids and these friends and these loved ones that he's put in our life. And I just wanna encourage a few of you in the room today, this really hit home for me this weekend, it hit home in the last service, so I wanna be sure to say it. Some of you in the room are raising adult kids and you think like, I worked my tail off when they were four years old and seven years old and 12 years old and 16 and that was really hard and then 18 and now they're grown and I'm like, what the heck, God? This didn't work. Raise up a child in the way they should go. They will not depart from it. What happened, right? People told me that. Some of you are struggling through that. I just want to tell you, life is long. Life is long. And your kids may be grown, but you're still keeping watch. You're still praying for them. You're still praying that God would see them through and bring about a deep divine relationship with him. And some of you are just struggling through like I failed, but listen, you haven't failed yet. You're still living, they're still living. You stay on that tower and you keep going. Okay, friend? Don't give up, right? We wanna encourage you with that. I, I, I would hate for people to leave this sermon feeling just like, oh man, I'm the worst, right? And it's true. We all are kind of the worst. I think it's probably true. But the beauty of all of this is that Jesus is committed to helping us bear fruit Right, the, the Holy Spirit who lives in believers is committed to helping things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and on develop in our homes. Right, we gotta follow him, we gotta abide in him. But he's committed to help us. And I wanna encourage you with that. That's the last thing I wanna say. A lot of the application for you, by the way, is something you're gonna have to do later because I don't have time. I'm already over the, my allotted amount of time. Some of you are like, yes, you are. I wanted to go to Luby's and now I can't. <laughs> but... I do wanna leave you with this. Some of you feel powerless in this, and I want you to know that the greatest power in the universe, the God who separated light from dark, right, day from night, the God who made you and me, who made Adam and Eve and put this world together and spun it on its hinge, right? That same God is the same God who lives in you. Some days we forget it, some days we don't believe it, but I just wanna remind you today and give you some courage that that God's in you and God, that God wants to help you be responsible for what he's put in your hand, right? That same God wants to help you push back the uh, wild and waste, bring organization where there's chaos. That same God wants to step into your life and help you do the work that needs to be done in your home. And then finally, that God wants to give you the longevity to be in it, to win it all the way through, okay? He's there with you. Let's pray. God, I'm very aware today that so much of the application is just comes with the folks in this room putting uh, skin on what we've talked about in your word. And Lord, we thank you for your word. 
Thank you for that challenge to rule in a way that is just and loving and wise. We thank you for that call to um, not squash, uh, but subdue that there might be more life. We thank you for the call to work hard, um, not to earn right relationship with you, but to join you in the work that you've done, to, to be creative in the way that you've been creative. God, we thank you for the fact that you keep us every day. And you've called us to be keepers as well, to be watchful and careful. Lord, help uh, the men and women across this room, young and old, to be reminded today that um, you've called us to abide in you, that you might bear fruit through us. So God, may our first move be back to you in just the same way that we were created to image God. Let, let us look back to the one that we were to image in the first place before we look forward. Help us to be like Jesus in the way that we interact with those people in our home. Father, we love you and we thank you that we're never alone, that, you, that you're with us every day. And we pray these things in your name, amen. So glad that you joined us online today at Houston Northwest Church, where our vision is to make Houston more like heaven by helping Houstonians become more like Jesus. If you have questions about following Jesus or would like to talk to someone about next steps in your spiritual journey, text Jesus to 281-946-6500. Connect with us throughout the week by following us on social and enjoy a great day.